Hi, and welcome to episode 79 of Walk to Work. Uh, so today I would like to talk about the ways in which we get in our own way. And maybe more specifically, the ways in which our thought processes uh, get in the way of, of doing stuff. Uh, before I start, quick reminder, uh, Jess and I have our weekly online classes on Thursdays. Um, if you're always think, oh, I like what Greg does, I like what Greg says, uh, one way of supporting me would be to tell your friends, um, especially those who maybe are more geographically isolated so they can't attend weekly classes, um, or people who have been having uh, health issues, so it means getting out the house to be more challenging, or just people who um, kind of want to practice and always moaning, well, not always moaning, but occasionally like, oh, I wish I could practice more. Um, having a weekly online class is a very low barrier to entry class uh, practice. Uh, and that's, yeah, they started off again uh, yesterday. Uh, we're a little bit low in numbers, so I'd kind of like to make it uh, cost effective for us to keep running these classes uh, so that we can pay ourselves for it. That would be nice, yeah. Um, so yeah, the ways we get in the way of ourselves. Uh, I have kind of three um, parts of ourselves that we get in the way of. Um, one is our artistic self. Uh, one is our lead followy self. Uh, and one is just our, our whole organism. Uh, and I think that uh, thinking of the three kind of have crossover points they'll get to. So if we start with our artistic self. Um, what we often find, especially uh, dancers who are taking classes, uh, especially like, uh, yeah, um, we're kind of thinking of lines and we're thinking of technique and we're thinking of composition and choreography. Um, and during our solo dancing uh, or our improvised dancing rather, we think of that. And then when we're creating choreography, uh, if uh, we're less experienced at it, uh, or maybe people also have more experience, I'm not sure, we kind of also think of that and we turn the thing into a kind of intellectual process. Oh, I do three of one and then I do a variation um, and kind of reduce it to formulaic things. Uh, and it can be much less formulaic formulas, but... Um, Uh, th there's a well-known aphorism, I can't remember who it's usually attributed to. Uh, I can't tell you what it means. If I could have told you, I wouldn't have had to dance to it. And this is a regular rant of mine. Uh, you go to museums, art museums sometimes, or exhibitions, and there's a three-paragraph text uh, explaining the work. And it's like, if you can explain your work in three paragraphs of text and it's all there, then you did something quite um, shallow. Uh, and of course, it's not typically the artist's fault, but more us as consumers uh, that we somehow think that three paragraphs of text to explain the concept behind a painting uh, makes the painting more interesting when I would argue it actually makes it less interesting. And so it's kind of the same. If you can contain your artistic expression within your thought process, uh, then you're somehow limiting it to the things that you're able to think. Um, and I'm th sort of think, drawing a distinction here between thinking 
just with our mind, which is kind of our conscious thinking about thinking and thinking with our whole mind-body. So obviously we're not not thinking uh, when we're improvising or doing anything, but the thinking with our whole mind-body tends to involve kind of less precise thoughts. Uh, and this was an experience I had this uh, past week in the Alexander class um, that I was just feeling like my thought process was more muddy. But uh, my mind-body organization and sensing was much uh, clearer. It's just that I couldn't really perceive it with my eyes uh, and head, as it were. Um, And so I think this has also consequences for how we teach, because we're often breaking things down into the think about um, and providing then practice time and not really realizing that the way we scaffold the practice time is super important because it's not just practice time, it's time where you get to put it into your whole mind body and get out of your own way. So getting out of our own way artistically, what we often think of uh, is we embody that we have a muse and this muse is kind of our artistic thought process that sings to us. Um, and if we get in the he- if we get in our own head and start overthinking it, that's another word we often use is overthinking, um, and start overthinking it, we get in the way of uh, our muse. And and what happens when we get in the way of our muse is kind of things get disconnected temporarily because we're not right here right now we're oh what did i do two seconds ago oh what am i going to do two seconds from now and it gets in the way uh, of being able to hear the muse um and i think it also gets in the way as i said uh, with the coherence of the mind body because suddenly instead of thinking with our mind body um so with our, our whole organism Uh, We're thinking just with part of it, and we're thinking about part of it uh, because of the limitations of our thinking. And so we're also getting in our own way by reducing uh, the coherence of our our mind-body. And there's kind of three ways that we get in our own way, or get in the way of our muse. Um, So one of them... Uh, is just habitually, um, there's some part of our artistic process that is always um, subservient to the muse. Um, one example of this is when you have uh, an overfocus on on technique. Um, suddenly, you can't play violin. I always go with violinists for some reason. Poor guys and women. Um, you can't play violin because every time you play a bow stroke, uh, your arm is over-exaggeratedly um, being a perfect technical um, uh, wrist. And that perfect technical wrist uh, is, is great uh, because of the possibilities it offers, but it also gets you stuck in a kind of, this is supposed to be beautiful and pretty and technically perfect, and you get a little bit posh, and your sit bones come together, 
uh, as uh, you sort of stand up straight and play good music. Um, and, and that gets in the way. And then it depends what your muse is saying and how much you're in the way. Uh, like maybe uh, it's just as if uh, you put on um, a really um, fancy clothes and the fancy clothes get in the way of how you dance compared to um, compared to how uh, you would dance if you were naked. Uh, and so you all then have to look at what the interfering looks like. Sometimes interfering looks like boxes um, it, and boxes uh, help with creativity. But sometimes interfering is just as if you were trying to dance um, except you had a hand tied to your side. Yes, sure, it unleashes the creative juices of how you dance with a hand tied to your side, but to, 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 to what purpose? Uh, it's a very weird constraint, yeah. Um, so we have this habitual, uh, this something that we've built up that we don't actually need to do. Um, we have the avoidant, uh, so when we avoid our muse, our muse is asking us to dance, is asking us to express ourselves. Um, and it's probably asking us to be a bit vulnerable. Uh, and maybe it is actually that vulnerability that is the, that is the muse. Uh, and connecting with that is scary. Uh, connecting with that is uncertain. Uh, it might not work. It might leave you unsatisfied. Uh, it might leave you raw and emotional. It might dig into parts of you that you're trying to not to stay away from. Uh, and all those things are, are ways that then you can dance and keep your views well at bay to avoid the, the scariness of it. Um, and the third is holding attention. Um, Uh, so if you are dancing and you're kind of letting the muse come and you're realizing that you're um, interfering with the quality of movement of your hands because you're focusing on your hands too much. And then you're kind of trying to not think of the elephant uh, and it sort of doesn't quite work. Um, and the solution for not thinking of the elephant uh, kind of like we talked about last week, uh, it's not doing something else instead, it's not thinking of something else, it's being able to not think, and also being able to not think in a productive way. Um, and so one of these ways is to transfer attention, or no, to have an awareness of our whole mind-body that doesn't exist through kind of eyes, and um, mind, or eyes and brain, uh, instead, I mean, it's just a switching of focus to using our brain and our eyes, which are going to be able to focus very precisely on our hand and wrist as we dance, uh, and instead kind of using our eyes to sense the things that our eyes are made for, as it were, um, and then using our ears to sense the things that our ears are made for, and using our wrist to sense our wrist because that's where our wrist is. Um, and so suddenly your wrist kind of loses focus because your wrist is where uh, your wrist is and you're just kind of having an awareness of uh, the whole thing.
Um, yeah, and so we see that in dance technique. So whatever you think is necessary to lead a side pass or a swing out, and we can break it down and technique it up. Um, and some of it um, will be more or less uh, true, depending on how metaphorical it is, depending on how correct it is in the first place. Um, but ultimately, the way that you do a swing out or that you lead a side pass is not to rock step on one and then do the thing on two and then you do this on three and four and five because then you've broken it up in time uh, in a way that it's, not, it's going to be difficult to reintegrate into a whole. And it's not, oh, uh, I do a stretch and then I do a release and then I do a catch and a redirect um, because there you're putting very, very simple words onto something that is simultaneously so much simpler and so much more complex. So, um, 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 probably it's helpful, like I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite wondering now what uh, benefit breaking down technique like that actually even serves because I see people when they're dancing, they're like, I'm dancing a rock step. I'm dancing the five or seven components of a swing out. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't see you dancing. Um, and that's no shade on them. Like I'm not saying, oh, this is your fault for not dancing. But I think it's that we've had classes and we've taught people how to do the thing and we haven't taught people how to, to, to reassemble that thing uh, into uh, something that's not kind of just a, a Frankenstein monster uh, of uh, dancing and lead following. Uh, so at some point you need to take all the technical elements that constitute uh, a side pass uh, and get out um, and stop them from getting in your way. Uh, and again, you see uh, this uh, lead followingness element um, in 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 uh, you, you, we we have this lead following get, getting in the way of our own lead following uh, in these different ways. So uh, we have uh, the habit, and that's what people often get. Um, Especially when they don't actually, I think, oh yeah, that's a, that's a really important one. It's whether we trust our body, whether we trust in our muse, and whether we trust in our body to be able to express it. And it's kind of the thing is, do I trust in my lead following thing? And our lead following knowledge, our explicit knowledge is always imperfect. Um, and so we're always going to be a bit fearful of that. So at some point we have to trust that we are dancers that we have dancers' bodies and that we are partner dancers who know how to partner dance and kind of not let the fear that maybe we're not uh, get in our way. Uh, and I think that's something we also have to teach. So we have to be able to, 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 to move away from the habit of lead following moves if ever we're to move out of the habit of lead following moves and just lead and follow. Um, then we have the avoidant. Uh, sometimes people are sort of lead following flaily uh, and they don't really want to get into um, 
how their lead following is because they see often, and I'm, I was one of them, I saw like, oh, these people, they dance super nicely, but then they're super constrained. And one of the things that people tell me is, oh, hey, uh, Greg, your, your, uh, your improvisation, your musicality, it's so good. And I was kind of afraid of losing that. And so I kind of avoided uh, meeting my lead follower self uh, because I thought that I would have to get sort of all technical about it and kind of lose soul through that. Um, and then we have the over-attentiveness. Um, so it's like, oh, I know that my stretch uh, has a little bit of a tug uh, in it where it should be less tuggy and it kind of pulls. And then as soon as I'm thinking of my lead following in those terms, the only thing I'm going to see with kind of my mind and my eyes uh, is going to be that tug at the end of the stretch. And so I'm going to try to make that tug go away. And I'm going to, in trying to consciously make that tug go away, I'm going to get in the way of the, the lead follower self I have that has hundreds and thousands of hours of experience of social dancing um, and replace it with, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, blah, 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 and, and replace it with just this thought, I mustn't tug at the end of the stretch. Uh, and again, lead following is so much simpler and yet so much more complex uh, than that. And the last place it arrives, I mean, those are just two examples, but the main thing is in our what uh, in Alexander Technique would be termed our use. So the whole way that we coordinate our mind, body, our whole organism um, to uh, do things. Um, and again, do we have those three things going on? Is I can get in the way of myself with my habits. Uh, so if my habit uh, is uh, to scrunch my eyes and stress out my neck uh, when I'm concentrating or stressed out by something, um, then that's what I'll do. Uh, and that adjustment of the use uh, is going to prevent, I think, my mind-body from being used to its full potential. And so then if my goal is actually just to solve a problem, like I don't actually have to do anything, I'm in front of my computer at work and I have this tricky problem to solve, being freer in mind-body is going to be able to enable me to pull my whole mind-body together um, to, uh, to solve the problem. Whereas if I tighten, if I shorten, if I scrunch up my neck, if, I, uh, um, if my forehead uh, gets um, uh, furrowed, then suddenly uh, I'm going to limit my capacities and I'm not going to be able to leverage the whole possibility. And I've got in my own way by frowning, basically. Uh, and then the other is um, avoidant. Uh, so if I avoid even noticing that or considering the possibility uh, that this is an issue um, and avoid working on it, well, obviously, it's not going to, to, to happen. Uh, if I pretend uh, like this is just the, the, the pretending that uh, the same results can lead to different, uh, the same inputs can lead to different outputs. Um, and last is this closely um, 
observing and being like, oh, what is my mind process? My mind process right now is that I'm getting stressed out and I know that getting stressed out is not good, so I mustn't get stressed out. Uh, and again, um, that's kind of uh, the, the this attention on yourself brings in uh, tension, ha ha ha, um, uh, and gets in your way. Uh, and again, the solution to that is kind of to move into our whole mind-body as the sensing organism as opposed to just our mind, um, and to accept kind of the lack of control, uh, the lack of attention, like you can only have a kind of global awareness. You can't really attend to individual parts uh, of yourself. But as we said, the, 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 the issue you have is uh, when we come around, apart from uh, ourselves in, in time or in space. So if we're thinking of the future, if we're thinking of the past, uh, it takes us away from the present. And if uh, we're thinking just of one part of ourselves with the attention we're able to hold, then suddenly we're disconnecting that part of ourselves from ourselves uh, and the, the, the whole has trouble coming together. And so it's something to do uh, with uh, gestalts. And I think it was Tolkien who said, uh, it's like taking uh, a tennis ball apart to find its bounce. Um, and I used to think, oh, this is uh, a story about how uh, if we overanalyze things, uh, or if we analyze, there's a point at which we can't analyze things. And I don't think it is. Uh, I think we can analyze it when we take a tennis ball apart. Exactly the point where the tennis ball stops bouncing is part of how we find and understand the bounce. But... Um, the way that we make our tennis ball bounce again is to, to put it back together and make it whole. Um, and with tennis balls, that's a bit tricky, but with human mind bodies, uh, it's totally doable. Uh, yeah. So have a think about it. Let me know uh, in comments how um, you find yourself interfering with yourself and what strategies you found uh, to stop doing it. Uh, yeah. I'll see you next week. Until then, take care.